You're listening to the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast burdened by glorious purpose. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So listen up, a-holes. This is our origin story. Okay, so I guess I'm going to jump in and talk about my origin story first, because yeah. I am the most obvious target for the MCU. I mm-hmm. I literally could not have had a larger target. I'm the target they could see from orbit. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> they. it's a license to print at least Josh's money. You know, yes. I am a literal lifelong superhero fan and comic book reader. I learned to read on superhero comics. That is a true thing. And additionally, I have, because of my age, lived through two or three surges of superheroes in other media. Mm -hmm. And one of them was actually going on when I was a kid, because uh, you may recall, we are of a somewhat similar age. So you may recall, Lonnie, uh, Super Friends, Uh the source of endless Aquaman jokes, (laughs) right? Yes. Which I have no truck with, so don't make them. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying he's King Arthur. Over 70% of the world, that is mostly an undersea fairy realm. If you don't think that's cool, that says more about you than it does about him. I'm just (laughs) saying. But yeah, so uh, you've got your super friends. You've got your Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which I can never tell if that's a deep cut or not. Are you familiar (laughs) with that one? Uh, Not really, no. I don't know how this thing happened. Spider-Man teams up with a couple of people who used to be (laughs) X-Men. And live in Aunt May's attic and go to college and fight crime. Wow. Yeah. It's not as good as it sounds because it was like the early 80s as far as animation goes. But, you know, it's it feels like it could be one hell of an MCU TV show now. Yeah, probably. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then you get into the 90s and you have Batman the Animated Series that goes into Superman that goes into Justice League and all that stuff is amazing and Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons from that time and by that time I'd been reading comics for like 15 years (laughs) so yeah I mean I am just into this stuff up to my eyes and I never really stopped Mm -hmm. um We'll talk more about this as we go, but my primary allegiance between DC and Marvel has moved all over the map. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've gone back and forth depending on on where I was in my life. And and also I have cycled in some indie superhero stuff like uh, Hellboy, which you you might know that one because there were a couple of movies. Oh, I'm familiar with Hellboy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Invincible, which is sort of a coming of age superhero story Mm -hmm. if your dad was Superman and also hadn't been around for a while. (laughs) Okay. Uh, well, because, well, anyway. Superman is a baby <laughs> you, daddy? Is that what that is? <laughs> um, no, he fly when, so when the kid who will be called Invincible is a baby, his dad, who is kind of the Superman of this setting, mm-hmm. flies off into space to deal with an alien invasion or some other, you know, cataclysmic thing and dies, oh, doesn't come back. Aww. So he's got to grow up without a dad who also happened to be Superman. Well, what could go wrong in yeah. that guy's life? <laughs> Uh, you know, and then some more recent stuff with Molly Danger, and this may be a whole other conversation. In fact, I'm planning a podcast. I also have loved Sailor Moon since I was a 13-year-old boy, oh, wow. which is a really weird space to live in. <laughs> right. 
Um, and as for doing this podcast, this is this is kind of exciting. This is actually like weird portions of my life dovetailing together yeah. because 2008 is right around when I started writing, uh-huh. like seriously writing, making up stories, stuff like that. And in the process of that, I discovered you. Wow. Because you have things to say about how story works. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have so many things to say about that. You have a whole podcast devoted to I it. Have, I, think, I have. I have exactly a lot of podcasts devoted to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so between discovering you, talking about story, because I wanted my craft to get better, <laughs> that brought me to actual podcasting. So now I do a show called Superhero University <laughs> where I read superhero stories alongside people who are less versed in it and kind of unpack it for them. And naturally, in the process of that, a lot of Lonnie comes out. We talk about story structure Mm -hmm. because how does that work with these people in costumes? Is it different? Is it, you know, what is it? Uh, And then also an animated discussion, which is where the Sailor Moon will come in. But right now it's Batman the Animated Series. So, in fact, I want to talk to you more about Batman the Animated Series sometime after you've listened to some of that show. Oh, I have listened actually to some of that show. So I'm I'm really interested. I love the work that you do talking about comics i just think it's it's fantastic and the the stuff that you understand about comics but specifically like this superhero genre you know the way that you understand superheroes is so interesting to me because i really don't you know um and it's not something that i have a whole lot of background in or a whole lot of knowledge about but of course like as you know i love story and i've been thinking about story for a really long time so it's it's kind of exciting and i'm I'm excited about this opportunity to do this podcast with you because we come at it with with different kind of areas of expertise that sort of can come together and help us understand you know the marvel cinematic universe which is such a a broad you know and and expansive kind of storytelling universe i've i've wanted to talk about it because what it does is unprecedented we have this um we have movies and we have tv shows and there's also you know of course the comics that have been building up for the last i don't know what is it 60 years at least that they've been doing comics for the mcu yes at least i yeah marvel Yes, let's go with that. Around as a rough sixty, estimate. right? It's been it's been a long ass time, basically. So we yeah. have this world that's been built up, and it's so fascinating to me. And you know, I've never been like into comic books. I've never been specifically into superheroes, you know, as a genre. Um, but studying and understanding writing stories has kind of like always been my thing. And I especially have loved television stories because I like that long form storytelling. But here we have in the MCU this storytelling that is expansive beyond form that we have tv series and we have movies coming out and we have phase one and phase two and agents of shield and you know daredevil and and jessica jones and agent carter and these are all such different stories but they all exist within this same consistent you know universe the the world building here is unprecedented and so for me i want to look at all of these stories individually as themselves but i also really want to take a look at them within the context within this broader context and that's why i'm so glad to have you to have these conversations with because your understanding of that broader context is so deep you know it's just it's it's absolutely going to be so much fun i'm very very excited about jumping into this I have very red cheeks getting all of that <laughs> praise, especially considering that the way that I came by that knowledge is something that my parents kind of looked at with some chagrin okay. for most of my life. 
Uh, well, people get I mean, mocked I w- for liking comic books, you know, the same way that like, you know, I loved uh, soap operas. I think the closest thing to the comic book, the extended comic book universe is probably soap operas, right? Because, you know, I, I don't know, General Hospital or, or Guiding Light or something ran for something like 60 years. I mean, they've just been telling these stories. They started in radio, they moved into TV. Um, and, it, and it is this very expansive universe that they keep having to reboot certain things and, you know, retell certain stories. And it's, it's really interesting. And it's funny how these incredibly expansive, incredibly ambitious areas for storytelling are both kind of looked down upon. That people, I think less so comic books and superheroes now that the MCU has hit such an incredible stride. Mm -hmm. But like people have tended to look down on this kind of storytelling as this sort of, you know, this cheap, like disposable kind of storytelling. And it's not real stories. And why aren't you reading books and whatever, you know, and and form snobbery has always been a thing. You know, we always get very, very snobbish about the forms that are, you know, kind of like going to the side while the new technology brings in new forms. the fact is that all storytelling has incredible value. And so all of this stuff that your your parents may have, you know, been worried about you for, I am very glad <laughs> that you did because now you have this this wealth of knowledge that I get to like dip into. So I'm very excited about that. I could not agree with your comparison between superhero comics and soap operas more. <laughs> um, I think at one point I actually said that most of my favorite X-Men comics are basically guiding light. If you unplug money and plug in superpowers mm-hmm. and unplug fights and plug in sex. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and the idea of an accreted history yeah. or an accreted canon that Every now and then we have to change because it doesn't make sense for Tony Stark to be in Vietnam anymore. Right. Or mm-hmm. um, or why are we talking about transistors so much? <laughs> Maybe we should think about microchips yeah. or whatever. You know, sometimes it's just the inevitable march of time. But in the case of the soap operas, and I think we're finally entering this space with the MCU, you have to deal with people getting older. Yeah. Like actual human beings getting older. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, there is there is a lot of overlap between that kind of incredibly long form serialized. We've got to grab them for next month, but then slowly in comic book case yeah. m- next month. But in soap opera, it's you know right away tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we got to grab them right away. But we also have to reward the people who have been coming here for all of this time. So uh, he, great. Great observation. There is a lot of overlap there. (laughs) Yeah, and it is an incredibly challenging kind of storytelling to do because it is so open-ended and you do have to live within the rules of that universe, whatever that universe may be, and to tell such an expanded story within that universe, you know? And the thing that I love about the MCU is that we have a space for these stories that are so totally different like you look at guardians of the galaxy you know next to ant-man next to captain america you know next to agent carter like these the tones of these stories are different the ways in which they interact with the universe is different but yet the universe is consistent between them i love that that is actually one of the most difficult balancing acts Mm -hmm. i feel coming from the superhero comics where i am supposed to believe in this billionaire in Dracula drag who is punching muggers in one book, but in another book is fighting an alien invasion. Yeah. That's, um, but it all has to, it all has to fit more or less. And I think it's really fair to say more or less because there is a certain looking away when it gets 
fuzzy, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. when the edges don't quite match up, it's okay for us to look away mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but, and to the MCU's credit, they actually haven't even married themselves to tone within specific franchises because the three Captain America movies are very different mm-hmm. from one another tonally, you know? Yeah, yeah, they um, are. Mm-hmm. And, and say, I think same for Iron Man and same for Thor. When you get into these longer things, it's like, well, we got a new team. So we want to tell a different type of story. And I'm like, oh, yes, I'm familiar with rotating creative teams. I've read superhero right. comics. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And there is like a tonal a tonal difference even within, you're right, even within the Captain America series, even within the Iron Man series. You look at the difference between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 3. I mean, that's a huge, huge difference between those two stories. Um, Yet they do fit within the same world. And I think it accommodates for the way, you know, in which, like, let's face it, each one of us lives in our own individual universe. And even though we share this planet, our reality, my reality is different from your daily reality. They just are, but they exist in the same space. And so it's almost like, you know, f- allowing for that difference, for that that lack of of control that allows for this sort of wild expanse of possibility within the MCU. And I think that that is so fascinating. I mean, you look at something that's that's so dark, like Jessica Jones or like Luke Cage or Daredevil, you know, and put it up next to Guardians of the Galaxy, which is outright goofy, you know, a lot of the time. Um, and also out there in space with aliens and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it does feel like it shouldn't be part of the same universe. And yet it kind of works. Yeah, I think, like I say, mostly works yeah. right like i think that the the netflix series and we we may talk about these mm-hmm. more in the future but i feel like the netflix series are probably the thing that pushes that the hardest yeah. uh and some of that is built in sort of licensing problems mm-hmm. right like they could nod at the mcu but they couldn't just come out and acknowledge it right and they were telling very different stories even compared to some of your darker offerings in the MCU, I thought, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And also, not for nothing, it's very different to have eight to ten episodes of a thing versus we've got to get in and out in a couple hours. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, so there's definitely some places along the edges where it stretches, but that's where, as a superhero comic book fan, I start to enjoy that, well, let me figure out how this works together. Yeah. You know, uh, instead of looking away, maybe I can figure out a way that this actually meshes. And honestly, we may see this coming up with Infinity War, but one of the ways you figure out how this meshes is you just throw them all in a room and see how it goes. (laughs) And uh, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what that looks like in a billion dollar movie because, you know, I've seen it happen to greater and lesser success in in the comic books so many times that I'm like, yeah, let's see what, let's see what happens when it's actually all or nothing and not just this year's event. Exactly. Well, it's it's a wonderful kind of chaos, you know, and it it opens up this space where like, like literally anything can happen, you know, and it's, it's kind of fun to work in that space. This is a conversation that I kind of had recently in a superhero university about Batgirl of Burnside, because I insisted that it was a fair play mystery for the most part. But one of the things I realized as I read is you also have to accept that it's a superhero comic. And so literally anything can happen. (laughs) You know, we pretty much could have figured out who the villain was from page one. But also it was out of left field because comics, everybody, you know. (laughs) It's really interesting. And seeing how the relationship is between these movies and the original comics, 
you know, that inspired them is going to be fascinating for me because I have absolutely no knowledge of that. So you coming into these movies and these TV shows, looking at this entire broad context, where they came from, what the historical context was at the time that they were written, how that kind of terroir works into the movie that we're getting today. Um, I find that really fascinating. And I'm looking forward to learning about this, you know, with you. That, yes, that is some of my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. The longer that these adaptations go is that I read a lot of these stories that are being adapted as they were coming out. Like I read them off the spinner rack kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Kids, if you don't know what a spinner rack is, email me, I'll explain (laughs) it. But, um, you know, I read them like as they were coming out and they're not the same stories, but I can see the bits and pieces Uh and how they get put together differently and sometimes better and sometimes worse like i will have very definite opinions about when the source material actually did this thing better you know Mm -hmm. um or at least did it different and i preferred the different i mean you know we'll we'll get to it and since we've already been chatting some you and i uh i know for a fact that we will disagree about some of them okay good (laughs) that'll be fun Uh, yeah, I think it will be fun. Let's hope that it stays fun and completely friendly and does not devolve into... No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, it, it never we'll would. It never would. We're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> I think the disagreement is fun because it's, it's always fun to argue a point. And a lot of times I can't really articulate what I think about something until somebody pushes back on it, you know, and makes me really argue my point. But also, like, you might change my mind. And I love when people do that. I love when people come in with a good argument. And I'm like, you know what, you're right, my mind has changed. And then it kind of opens up a new space of understanding for me. So no matter what, I find that that very professional, very friendly disagreement to be really educational. No, I agree. I, I'm joking yeah. completely. I'm I'm already having some of my preconceived or not preconceived because I did watch these movies. Yeah. I didn't just make these opinions up without watching them. But some of them I've watched more and some of them less. Mm-hmm. And in prepping for this show, I have already had my opinions shifted somewhat. Mm-hmm. So I, I expect I expect discussing those points of friction between us will probably do it even more so no I think it's going to be really interesting especially because I come from this you know very like anchored in narrative point of view and you come from this anchored in the world you know in the world building and the story you know story world that's going to be really interesting to see how those line up that's true and it'll be this will be a little more difficult since we have 10 years of it going yes. on. But a thing that I thought of a lot as the movies came out is that I could see which doors they were closing mm-hmm. also, you know. And sometimes it was a good decision, but I would still be like, oh, that means I'm never going to get to see that guy, yeah. you know. Uh, and I will tell you about them. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm looking <laughs> and forward I to it. And I think you... there are things that you're going to see in there because of your broader knowledge that I won't even catch. Probably. Mm-hmm. And hopefully most of them aren't important, though, right? Because the stuff that's Im- not not important, they're set dressing. Right. They are great Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to impact the narrative, it better matter. It better matter. Right? You better not be confused just because you didn't read an issue of Guardians of the Galaxy from 1988. Right. Exactly. And if you need that external context in order for it to work, then that's a problem because it has to be self-contained. A story must be self-contained. It can work within the context of the greater universe, and it can certainly elucidate certain other things within that universe. But on its own, it has to be able to stand as its own story. So that's going to be interesting. But one of the things I want to talk to you about, speaking of disagreement, (laughs) is this whole, you know, dichotomy between DC and Marvel. Yes. 
tell me your feelings about DC versus Marvel. Well, let's say first on the cinematic front, I don't think there's any real competition uh-huh. at this point. Yeah. I Marvel movies are winning the day. And, and there are people who I respect who are making very cogent arguments as to why the DCEU isn't a trash fire. Mm-hmm. And I just respectfully disagree with them. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, the movies win all day. Mm-hmm. But tell me where you where you believe our uh, our competition or friction lies there well i mean for me i'm looking at these two sets of universes you know um purely from this kind of the narrative value and also it's it's obviously you know a very personal sense of this like this is my personal opinion this is what i prefer i don't think that one is necessarily better than the other although i do agree that the movies that Marvel has been making are better than the movies that DC has been making, but I don't think it is necessarily about the innate qualities of Marvel versus DC, which have totally kind of a difference as far as I can tell. Now, granted, let's say all I know is I watch the DC TV shows. I've watched Arrow. I've watched uh, Supergirl. I've watched The Flash. You know, so some of the TV shows I've really enjoyed. They're a little crazy. They're a little wild. Sometimes they step outside of reality and they've got some serious problems, especially with women. But um, but I mean, so DC has a certain flavor to its heroes that to me feel very archetypal. They feel almost mythological. Um, you know, they feel kind of so bigger than life. Superman, Supergirl, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just, it's the flash. He's the fastest. Like, everybody is kind of this, this <laughs> exponential thing. And the reason why I like Marvel better is because Marvel has this kind of gritty human frailty, you know, involved mm-hmm. in its stories that that the characters that we have are, you know, human and sad. And I think that I feel more like we we get more human flaws from the Marvel stories and we get more like archetypal mythology from the DC stories. And to me personally, I personally prefer the grungy human stories. And I don't know if necessarily, because again, like I'm not well versed in either one. I know that I prefer Marvel and that's the reason that I've come to, but I don't know if that's a fair, you know, kind of sense of DC. Although I have to say Thor in Marvel is my least favorite. Thor feels to me, like a DC hero. So I want you to tell me about what your perceptive your your like perspective is on that because I think that you'll have a lot more actual data to to go with. <laughs> you know a lot more about it than I do. I have a lot of feelings about all of that <laughs> yeah. because in one way I agree completely, mm-hmm. right? Like 100%. I think that by and large the DC universe works on a larger scale than Marvel. And sometimes that's very much on purpose. Um, There is something that has to be dealt with when you own the character that started this genre. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, Superman, there are no superheroes before Superman. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to me about mythological heroes. They're different. They're mythological heroes. There are no superheroes Mm -hmm. before the day that Action Comics number one comes out. And... DC does have to deal with the fact that they are at a metafictional level carrying that torch, right? Right. Uh-huh. Um, Superman's the first. Batman's the second. We've got the first and the second. We need to do something right. with those people that justifies the fact that they were the first and second. Uh-huh. So from a historical perspective, DC absolutely 
ruled the world mm-hmm. as far as publishing superhero comics between 1938 and the mid 60s. Wow. I mean, they were they were it. So were were the they the only, only game in town? Nobody else was doing it? No, they were not, but they had the most popular characters. And then after some things happened after the war with McCarthyism Mm -hmm. and uh, a book called Seduction of the Innocent and some other things just occurred where other superheroes weren't selling enough to to justify their existence. Mm -hmm. And DC, after that, for a while, only published three superheroes, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman are the only three superheroes that have been in continuous publication since their creation. Wow. Uh, but that's because they were the big three, right? Like they could carry their own books even after people weren't as interested in superhero mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but DC is it. They are the number one sellers for a long, long time. And then Marvel shows up. And I've done a lot of thinking about this. And I think that one of the reasons DC was able to sell so much for so long is that they marketed to children. It was children's literature. Uh-huh. And from that perspective, you're absolutely right. We've got to keep these concepts big and archetypal Mm -hmm. and things that you can pick up immediately on page one. And if you don't read another issue for a year, when you pick up the next one, you'll still be able to go, ah, this is Superman and he's still doing Superman stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Continuity was not a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not really. Marvel comes along and this is an... This is a statement that I have gotten some pushback for, but uh, the longer I think about it, the more I'm ready to go to the mattresses for it, which is Marvel is also literature for kids, uh-huh. but it's young adult literature. Interesting. It ups the ante to things that teenagers would care about, mm-hmm. right? So now it's less about these big archetypal fairy tales, and it's more about Peter Parker has a terrible daytime life yeah. as peter parker mm-hmm. he just wants to make a little bit of money and also kiss a girl <laughs> you know just like once please <laughs> but every time that almost happens there's a bank robbery and he's got to go stop the scorpion <laughs> or whatever right uh-huh. like you it's it's teenage problems writ large x-men is basically a teenage allegory mm-hmm. you get your powers with puberty yep. and then you're completely disaffected from the entire world right mm-hmm. like yeah there it is now, you did have some other stuff going on. Thor is a little bit bigger concept. Fantastic Four is, a, is kind of a bigger concept. Mm-hmm. But you had this, we're going to write to teenagers instead of kids. Mm-hmm. And Marvel immediately from that moment on, well, not all the time without ceasing, but by and large, Marvel has basically been the number one comic book publisher since then. Wow. Uh, there have been a few titles at DC that competed. For instance, when when X-Men was the number one selling comic book anywhere, DC's Teen Titans was right there with it. Mm-hmm. Like they would move back and forth. And I don't think that's an accident, but that's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you have the mid 80s and a thing in DC called Crisis on Infinite Earths, where DC decided that they were going to marvel up the place. Uh-huh. And that's what happened. So, so since 1985... There's been a lot less of that um, distinction Mm -hmm. of grit, I would say. Uh, After 1985, you start to get a lot more DC characters introduced that are basically Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, coming of age type stories. Um, Batman gets a little grittier. Mm -hmm. Superman got massively depowered, which I don't think is actually necessary, but you can definitely like see the ethos developing when they're like, we need to scale this back to where he's not dragging planets around on a chain. So so now, like in kind of the modern telling of comic books, I think that there's a lot less distance between those than you have 
seen in the past, mm-hmm. right? But as so as you move into the modern time, there's a lot less of that distance between them. But DC still retains all of its history because that's a comic book thing, especially in superheroes. We never throw anything away, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some of Superman's best bad guys are literal gods of evil, right? Like the scope is big, right. you know? Uh-huh. So that's where the interesting thing comes to me because Marvel has done these really big cosmic stories and still maintained that human hook. Yeah. And it seems like Marvel's challenge is to do the cosmic story and DC's challenge is to maintain the human hook, Mm -hmm. but they both do it admirably all the time, you know? Uh, So, so your, your kind of big picture thought on how are they different is not crazy. Mm -hmm. Like it makes a lot of sense. I have often joked uh, the justice league fights a war with intelligent colors from the fifth dimension because it's Tuesday (laughs) and Marvel has one intergalactic war that defines them for a decade. You know, like it's just the scales are super different, but all of the storytelling stuff, I still have to care about these characters as people, right? Mm -hmm. Like I still have to care that, well, depending on what time frame you're in, I still have to care that Clark is torn up because he can't tell Lois that he's also Superman. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I have to, and when they're married people, I have to care about what kind of strain being Superman puts on their marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to care about Batman's problems with his many children. Mm-hmm. And and as a dad, I'm seeing those very differently now than I did when I oh, was Oh, sure. A kid. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Right. So... So you're not wrong. The scope is different. It's just bigger and more mythic is not is not a bad way to describe DC. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite runs of Justice League, the writer started with the idea that he was going to take the big seven names of DC superheroes and basically treat them like gods. Yeah. Some of them had kind of direct Greek comparisons, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Batman's very Hades. He lives underground. He's very rich. Everyone is scared of him, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, so, I mean, so one of my favorite Justice League runs takes that idea and incorporates it right into the the fabric of the way that the stories are told. But at the same time that I was reading that, I was picking up Superman books where he was, like I say, having marriage troubles because being Superman is hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and watching Wonder Woman try and figure out her place in the world as she is an ambassador from Themyscira, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So I would say, broadly, you're right but I think in practice, it's less correct, mm-hmm. but it's more difficult for me to point to specific instances right. because there's just more Marvel stuff in the world right now. Well, and I think that the Marvel stuff that's out there is just being done better. Like the Marvel TV shows, I think, are better. Like I like The Flash, you know, I like Supergirl. I haven't seen a whole lot of it, but I like what I've seen, you know, Arrow's a little insane for me but you know but I'm I'm willing to jump on that you know and that's and that's okay but I think that just the general quality of the narrative side of things you know forgetting the world forgetting the scale of the world or any of that stuff I think that Marvel is just doing better narrative work right now and and that's why that work is better but overall I think that the Marvel heroes appeal to me more in general no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't think you're wrong about the levels of quality outside of the comic books yes. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that feeling within me is because I have 35 years of reading both of them mm-hmm. and being sometimes a hardcore Marvel guy and sometimes a hardcore DC guy. Mm-hmm. And now I now I kind of I blow with the wind, right. you know, because mm-hmm. it's this is. Here I, here I am. I've got all this experience. Now who's doing awesome things? Give it to me. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> uh, which, which is, to your point, 
informing some of your opinion because you go to the TV shows and I don't I don't love Agents of Shield, mm -hmm. but most of the Netflix series are pretty good. Yeah, I love Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield is my jam, man. I love that show. <laughs> I think it's great. That'll be an interesting discussion to have when we get there. We are not going to have as much friction, mm -hmm. I think. I think we are going to realize what our primary store, story values yes. are and how they diverge mm -hmm. in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, and no, and that happens, though. There is there, there are things that you go to a story for. There are objective things that you can look at a narrative and say, this is successful, this isn't. But in the end, you know, it's what do you go to a story for? Like, I am going to love every romantic comedy, no matter how bad it is, because that's what I love, you know? And for me... Lonnie, I am so ready for the superhero romantic oh comedy. Oh, my God. I am so ready for that movie to be I made I would love that. And I look forward to it. And I think that it's definitely going to happen. But before we get there, we've got to talk about what we're doing here with Listen Up A-Holes. The plan at this point is Joshua and I are going to look at the phase one movies. It's the first six movies in the Marvel Universe. We're going to record all those and we're going to drop them all so that you can get all of them on February 16th, 2018, the day that Black Panther, the next uh, movie in the Marvel series, comes out. Uh, we're going to go see Black Panther. We're going to give a response to that. And at that point, listen up, a-holes. We're going to see where it goes. It may go to phase two. It may go to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to kind of talk about what we're going to do with TV shows and with the movies um, and continue it as long as it is uh, fun and educational for us. Basically, as long as we're having a good time, we'll keep doing listen yeah. up, a-holes. Um, but yeah. for right now, As long now, as yeah. we're having fun, we will assume you're having exactly <laughs> we'll hope so so that is the plan for listen up a-holes the thing that we're committed to now is doing the phase one movies and having these discussions um that i'm so looking forward to looking at the narrative looking how the narrative works in that one specific instance and then having you give me this like broader contextual you know playground to kind of think about it in um it's going to be so much fun so i'm really looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to re-watching these with the eyes of someone who has spent a lot more time learning storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I and I mean both yourself and me, yeah. because I am a really different viewer now than I was in 2008 when I sat in a theater and watched Iron sure. Man for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. And not for nothing, you're a big chunk of how different I am a reader. So, <laughs> this, yeah, these are going to be really interesting chats. I think it's going to be really <laughs> fun and I'm looking forward to it. So I can't wait. Thanks so much for joining us for this Secret Origins episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back together again for the first time with our discussion of Iron Man. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this conversation, please give us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. There is no better way to make sure that other people discover the show and keep it going. Both Chipperish and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you. So if you can financially support either or both of us, then you'll be our heroes. The links to Apple and both of our Patreon pages are in the show notes. Until then, remember this show appears to run on some sort of electricity.